Welcome to Engage Arizona, brought to you from Washington, D.C. shortly after the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. The case directly challenges Roe v. Wade, which the court used in 1973 to invent a so-called right to abortion nationwide. CAP President Kathy Herod and Arizona State Senator Nancy Bartow were at the steps of the Supreme Court for a huge pro-life rally to mark this historic day. They are here now to discuss the hearing and what happens next. Hi, it's a pleasure and a blessing to be recording this podcast within mere hours of the United States Supreme Court hearing the oral argument, what's called the oral argument, in the Dobbs versus Jackson Hole Women's Health case from Mississippi. This case, of course, is the one that where Mississippi passed a law to prohibit abortions after 15 weeks gestational age of the unborn child. With me today is Arizona State Senator Nancy Bartow, our pro-life champion. Many of you are certainly familiar with Senator Bartow. She has been a part, if not the lead sponsor, a part of every pro-life law that has passed in Arizona during the time that she's been in the legislature. And really, I mean, for the last 16 years and, and before that, um, was certainly a, a pro-life warrior. So it's a delight to be able to give you our just right... Um, you know, uh, kind of like our initial thoughts and comments about what we just witnessed out in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. So welcome, Senator Bartow, to this um, edition of Engage Arizona. Thank you. I'm still shaking with excitement. Yeah, so tell us, what was it like? I mean, you you were part of the a, a group of state legislators um, at the podium um, supporting um, certainly our side in Dobbs. What just general impressions of, of being there today? Yes, the SBA list, Susan B. Anthony list, invited us to stand behind Attorney General Lynn Fitch and with our signs and everything was so organized and we even uh, were told that we might be able to speak if there was uh, time um, and if oral, oral arguments were not able to be pump, uh, piped out so that we could hear the audio. Um, that didn't happen for me, but I was just so excited to be part of this and to hear the incredible speaker lineup. Um, Every generation was represented. People that had been in the movement fighting for life um, way before me, uh, Alveda King, and then generations, the, the, the post-Roe generation they're calling themselves, and that is the young people. Um, people from Liberty University that, that uh, traveled 20 hours to get here, to be here for this day. Uh, it was just an incredible sight. Um, I won't ever forget it. Well, what speaker out of the rally speakers, any speaker that especially stood out to you? I, I never uh, am untouched when Abby Johnson speaks, and I wasn't disappointed this time. She's, she, uh, she has a way of communicating uh, what abortion is from an insider's view that just brings you to tears, brings her to tears. Um, she told her story once again, Abby Johnson, with the book Unplanned, the movie Unplanned. It's, a, it's an incredible testimony to what Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry is all about and how it, 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 it's just a, a very bold and graphic, just gruesome, frankly, description of what happens and it brings you to tears to hear um, that being you know mere inches away it seemed from from her i could see her tearing up i was certainly tearing up and she was apologizing 
apologizing to America, American women, for the horrific damage that Planned Parenthood has done to women and the unborn through the years. And encouraging women who've had an abortion to get help. Yes. And also, you know, an, uh, Arizona's own Abby Johnson, um, yes. Mina, Mina Rodriguez, uh, who recently came out of the Planned Parenthood industry. She worked there for, I think, over 17 years. And she's she spoke, I think she was one of the last speakers, and I was, it, was a, it was a long morning. <laughs> we were there since um, 7 in the morning and weren't right didn't leave until afternoon, yeah, afternoon. and she was one of the last ones and she was just as powerful as the others telling her story um, and it's just very very incredible to see generations standing for life and how the hearts of America the hearts in Arizona have changed as a result I think of what the science tells us is abortion how life uh, is documented scientifically um, and how our laws have to have to catch up. We have to admit that we made a, a, a horrific uh, mistake and it's time to repent of that mistake and update our laws to match the truth. Um, one of the taglines that Susan B. Anthony List has been using is called they've used modernize the law. And I thought, you know, well, we can talk about the opinion, the, how the arguments actually went in a minute. The other thing I thought about the rally speakers that was interesting is that there was a, a secular um, group, a woman spoke from a secular group who said how she was an atheist, but how she was, I think, the mother of three or four children, how she was pro-life. There was another woman who spoke who, you know, to show that the pro-life movement, when, when the other side tries to say we're just all people of certain faiths or whatever, but we heard speakers today that really don't share our faith in any way, but they are strongly pro-life. We had Democrats for Life speaking, the secular group, another LGBT person speaking out in favor of the pro-life values. And I think that that needs to be a wake-up call for a lot of people that there is a broad-based pro-life movement in this country and we're grateful for it. You know, on the, you, you were in a position, I was at a place where I couldn't see the whole crowd. The crowd looked massive to me. But could you see the pro-abortion side as well? I mean, it seemed like that we really outnumbered the pro pro-abortion side today? I wasn't at a great vantage point to see either uh, the, the crowds, but I could tell that, you know, they had tried uh, to shut us down and uh, really weren't very successful at it because I, I do think our, our crowd dwarfed the other side. Um, it did sound different in spirit though, mm -hmm. and that was, um, that was pretty obvious. Uh, you know, I, I think the tone of the speakers on the pro-life side were, were really uh, appealing. They were positive. They were um, hopeful. And they were inviting the other side to, uh, to consider the truth and inviting them into our movement to protect life. And even reaching out to those that have had abortions and saying, hey, you know, if you've had an abortion, please, we're here, we're here for you. Amen, one of the signs that I, I think it was from the ACLU, it was from one of the pro-choice groups, and it was um, that abortion bans are racist. And I just, um, you know, what an interesting comment because it's like, um, certainly the, the number of abortions and what communities they're in don't back that up, but it's just like, what, 
that's just the tagline that that's supposed to make everybody change their minds. It's just, I don't know, it's just one of those kind of things that it seemed almost like that the, the pro-abortion side, they don't, they're grasping at straws, that they don't know what argument's going to work anymore because the country is turning more and more pro-life and a recognition of the life of the unborn children. Well, it's, I don't, um, I got what was supposed to be a 70 minute, 60 or 70 minute oral argument before the U.S. Supreme Court wound up being almost two hours. So it's a very interesting long argument. Um, usually those arguments don't go more than 60 minutes, but the justices were very active in their questions. You got to hear part of the uh, um, arguments by knowing in the midst of that crowd, how do you key in and, and really handle it? But any just initial impressions of anything you were able to hear from the, from the, what the justices were saying? It was a little hard to really key in to know, um, you know, not having the, the attorney type of mind uh, what they were trying to get at, but it certainly made an impression. You know, you you just have this idea of, and in in your mind's eye, picturing these these uh, black robe justices, and here they were considering one of the most important cases in my lifetime, in many of our lifetimes, and um, so I was a, a little bit um, gobsmacked, I think, to really be able to interpret what I was hearing, but it was, it, it certainly gave me a, a new appreciation for how quickly these things are considered at that level and how on top of it, the defending attorneys, the prosecuting attorneys, um, they, they have to be, they've got to be ready for every question. They sure do. And of course, usually, you know, the attorneys, they go through what's called a moot court. And so I'm sure Scott Stewart was arguing, um, the Solicitor General from the state of Mississippi was arguing for our side to uphold the law. And I would guess that he's gone through a number of moot courts to present the arguments. I would say I was very impressed with the Mississippi Solicitor General. I thought he did a good job representing our side. And it's just, it, it'll be interesting to read the transcript and kind of really digest a lot of it. But to me, you know, when we first start out, you know, the way this goes is the first person to, to speak was Scott Stewart from the Mississippi Attorney General's office. And Justice Clarence Thomas started off with whether it matters, whether the focus in this case is on abortion or on the autonomy of the woman. And Justice Thomas repeatedly tried to get the other side to pin down, well, where is the abortion right? What is the right to an abortion? And the other side throughout the, their arguments really just try to keep saying that, well, it's about, it's the liberty interest of the woman. It's about the freedom of the woman. And, you know, as pro-lifers, when you hear that, you're just like, uh, excuse me, it's also about the liberty and the freedom of the unborn child. And we certainly love them both. We stand for both protecting the woman from abortion as well as her unborn child. But to make it so focused on the autonomy of the woman, it was interesting. One thing that you may not have heard is Scott Stewart, one of the points he made was that all 50 states now have safe haven laws. And it was interesting because, you know, part of what the other side was trying to say is that, well, nothing has changed since Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973 or the Casey decision in 1992. And like nothing has changed. And so in 73, a woman could place her child for adoption. But then at the same time, they seem to be making this argument, well, the woman is relying on her reliance interest is a legal term that they've used is that she would not be burdened by being a parent that you know she relies on not having to be a parent and so scott stewart is making the case well all 50 states have safe haven laws and so a woman doesn't have to parent that burden of parenting is relieved share what i mean you've worked on safe haven laws so what are what's the safe haven law in arizona 
Well, and we just updated it last session to uh, make it stronger. But safe haven was a very innovative idea, and that is if, if a woman um, that recently gives birth and really has a difficult time does not feel capable of parenting, they can bring it to an emergency um, place like like a, a fire a fire station and um, not be prosecuted for negligence or abandonment. And so it's uh, now uh, with Arizona's new law signed uh, just recently, a few months ago, a woman has for 30 days rather than a few hours um, to, to make sure that that baby has a safe, um, a safe landing, if you will, and the ability to live in a, in a home that, that uh, is willing to take care of that child. And the woman can do this anonymously so that it, and we heard the stories years ago, and it may still be happening, of a woman having a baby and just leaving it in a trash can or something like that. So that was, okay, this, you can anonymously leave your child knowing that it will be picked up. It may be at a fire station, might be outside the hospital, uh, and you can have your baby placed in a, in a loving home, a forever home, the term that, that we use. Uh, it was interesting to me, and I don't know if you heard some of this, what so much, uh, from Justices Sotomayor and Justice Breyer, they, of course, are on the liberal wing of the court. They support um, legalized abortion, but they were, to me, it was they were making a lot of policy and political statements, and and just in trying to, well, oh, and the court's not supposed to change prior decisions, so like it can't overrule Roe, even if it was an egregiously wrong decision. And they're trying to set the stage for that, but they were making arguments that to me were more di directed to you as a state senator and a lawmaker than it would be to a judge. I agree. We've had other precedents in law uh, over, the, over our lifetimes that uh, completely contradict that idea. And apparently, you know, um, I'm not sure the legal term for it, but that's a big part of the argument is, is refuting that charge that you can't overturn. A, uh, a, a press, a legal precedent like that. Mm -hmm. um, we've done that when we've known that uh, when we've interred Japanese uh, during World War II, and uh, for we, we've had laws on the books uh, regarding slavery and voting rights and all of these things, civil rights uh, in general against uh, blacks and other minorities that we've uh, since righted and. Roe needs to be righted as well. It's it's bad policy, and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's almost well. It's really disappointing to hear justices try to make that case as if we don't <laughs> we don't un we have such a short term memory that we we don't remember um, history and how aspirational freedom is and protecting life is at all stages, and our, our Constitution guarantees that. We need to live up to those aspirations, and we can. Well, and there was discussion about, uh, stereotypes is the legal term, there was discussions about historically when women were able to have abortions or not, and then one of the justices, I think on our side, responded with a, a brief by the American Historical Association and what they said about, it, there was a lot of getting at what's the real truth. We believe it was Chief, Je Chief Justice Roberts, but don't, um, don't count me on that, who brought up the issue 
that America's abortion laws are as extreme as China and North Korea. And then the pro-abortion attorney tried to get out of that by saying, well, there are nominal lines or some, she used some phrase like that, but how really you can get, you can get later term abortions like in European countries. But you know, those aren't the facts. And so it was just kind of interesting as far as what the facts are and what, what the facts aren't. What, one of the things I found most interesting uh, was that Scott Stewart, the Solicitor General again from Mississippi, he talked about the undue burden standard, that the undue burden standard is the most unworkable standard in American law. And that courts, lawmakers, that it's such a fluid kind of, you know, what, what's an undue burden on a woman's so-called right to an abortion, what's not? And how do, how do lawmakers and courts decide that? And certainly we've seen that in Arizona as far as when you're crafting legislation, what's going to hold up in court, what's not. And so that, that was really interesting. And hopefully the judges heard that. The other part that was back on stereo decisis was they brought up Plessy versus Ferguson and then the Brown, uh, you know, some of the decisions on slavery, and because obviously those decisions were overruled. And so then the liberal justices are trying to, you know, wiggle out of that, well, those were egregiously wrong on the day they were decided. And all this kind of, a lot of liberal, um, well, lib legal speak, I should say, and trying to, um, you know, trying to say, oh no, this isn't the same. So you can't overturn Roe versus Wade and Casey. But yet, the facts are different. We know much more than we did almost 50 years ago. Any thoughts on, on all of that? Well, we do. And um, it's, like you said, it's it's time to modernize our laws to fit the times. Um, America's hearts have turned towards life because they've learned more about the issue. And, and I credit that to a lot of uh, pro-life laws that have uh, really served to inform women seeking abortions. Uh, they have to give them more information. Um, in, in some respects, they have to talk about the, uh, what, what's happening in the gestational age of that child. Um, they have to be more, more informed. And now the polling is showing that uh, the majority of Americans believe that uh, our laws are too liberal. Being compared to countries like China and North Korea, and we're one of only seven that has such liberal laws, um, in in the, uh, the 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 world of uh, developed nations is is shameful, and um, I think I think seeing this case go before the Supreme Court is going to further educate Americans about where we are, where we need to go, and hopefully, um, you know, not only uh, help Americans kind of come to terms with um, our our row current our current road policy but where we might need to go soon in order to to really uh, stem the tide of mental health problems of you know suicide that how this is affecting the family um, you know we've, we've talked a lot about the unborn and obviously we've lost over 60 million 62 million over this time when Rose been in force but we very little hardly ever really delve into um, the long-term effects of going through an abortion and the guilt and and uh, even physical effects of that. Mm -hmm. Very true. Well, I want to thank you for taking time after a long morning, and our day's not over yet. We still have some festivities in Washington, D.C. For our listeners, um, where we're at is the 
what usually happens in the U.S. Supreme Court is that this Friday, December 3rd, the justices would meet in what they call conference. They meet in conference. They take an initial vote to see where the justices are on whether upholding Mississippi's law or overturning it. And then depending on what the vote looks like, the Chief Justice, if he's in the majority, would um, be the one to assign who's writing the opinion. But we probably will not know the answer to this until next June. Uh, it, that would be, if the, if the court follows their usual process on a controversial case, that they will wait until June to release their opinion. There's likely to be a lot of back and forth within the, the halls of the court. Uh, over these next few months and so we ask you to continue to pray for our Supreme Court justices and that indeed um, by next June we will see a day after Roe. But if nothing else we had a victory today that we know just having this case before the court and the opportunity that a 15-week limit on abortion could be upheld by the highest court in the land that's what we're looking for and a step forward to seeing the day when indeed abortion is no longer legal in our country. So thank you for joining us and listening to Engage Arizona. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.